All right, well, welcome to this episode of the Texas Tech edition of the Heartland College Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jackson Moody. It was a miserable Friday night in Austin for Texas Tech football as they got absolutely demolished 57-7 to by Texas. We're not going to spend too much time talking on that. There's really not much to talk about. They were just beaten everywhere on the field. We'll just talk about some problems that have continued throughout the year where Texas Tech could go to a bowl game and Texas Tech goes two and one at the battle for Atlantis after a tough opening day versus Villanova and a tough first 30 minutes against Northern Iowa they find their footing and win two straight games and preview their game against Butler later this week so let's start with the bad news first uh so we're gonna go straight to Texas Tech football before we get into some positive spin on this season and we'll do the whole post-mortem of the season after the bowl game because quite honestly there's a lot of bad basketball games scheduled in february in december this season this was a game where texas was just better in every single aspect they kicked your butts up front their quarterback was better their receivers actually didn't quit on plays like one of yours did twice that led to two interceptions their special teams were better they blocked a punt returned a kickoff for a touchdown. I mean, if there was ever a way to describe complete and utter domination, it would have been what happened on Friday night in Austin. And I know there's some people that will say, oh, well, your objective was to make a bowl game. No, no, it wasn't. People will say, this wasn't a failure. That's why you sat Jacob Rodriguez. No, hear me clearly. Anytime you lose by 50 points, on primetime on ABC to a conference opponent, that is a failure. An absolute failure to lose by 50. If we would have lost this game by 14, it would have been all right. Well, you went 3-1 and one down the stretch, fought a really good Texas team hard, and they are a really good team. But you lose by 17, 21, something like that. You got absolutely demolished on primetime. And we can go through drive by drive of this first half and just talk about what went wrong some of it was a certain receiver quitting on place some of it was you had no time to throw the ball i mean baron morton did not have time to throw that ball in the first half and he also forced some throws that he shouldn't have forced this game as a whole is as big of an embarrassment as you can get because it is against texas for the last time and it is prime time again on ABC. And you're the main football on. And you just get absolutely smoked. But just going through the, the drives, drive by drive offensively. And I thought the defense fought pretty well for the first half. I think once a player went off injured and on a stretcher who's thankfully okay now, it, it probably rattled them a bit in the second half. But in this first half, the defense was kept on the field way too long. And here's why. First drive of the game, you motion Taj Brooks. You have one of the best running backs in the country. And what do you do? You motion him out wide. He had a good game. He had 19 carries for 95 yards. He was your only offense in this game. Dre McCray returning that kick and Taj Brooks going on the run of his life was the only points Tex Tech scored in this entire game. 
but you motion him out wide. I know Texas has a really good run defense, but make them prove it. Don't put Taj Brooks out wide and do an empty set and do the play that you run 40 times a game that I guarantee you Texas has seen on film about a thousand times over the course of the week. Anyway, you start with a three and out. And then they score a touchdown. You get something going. You get uh, unsportsmanlike conduct, which leads for to a first down. Taj Brooks picks you up nine yards. You get the uh, you get two more right after that. You got another first down. Get four yards to Tharp. Something's turning around. You're at midfield, and you look for Jaram Bradley, and he quits on a play, and it's picked off. I mean. You can't be quitting on plays. You can't quit on plays against Texas. You're going to have to outfight them. And you have a receiver that quits on plays. Not once, but twice in this game. After that, you get the ball uh, at your own 12. Get a first down. And then you get sacked the next third down. And have to punt, punt from your own 16. Austin McNamara hits a bad punt. Your defense saves you and keeps you in this game by holding them to a field goal. And then, boy... You really had some chances in this game. One of them was the Dre McRae drop, and that was, I was at the stadium. It was down the sideline from where I was, and actually got an obstructive view seat, so I couldn't actually see us score our only points of the game. But Dre McRae, with that drop deep in Texas territory, that is one you have to come down with. That was the best pass Bear Morton has thrown in weeks, and you, and you drop. That was your chance to kind of hang around in this game but anyways you end up getting a touchdown off of Taj Brooks and then the first play or sorry it was the second play after you score a touchdown they take it 69 yards to the half or to the house and then as we talked about you get the drop pass and pretty much the game just unraveled from there they get another field goal it's 20 to 7 McNamara you're, you're forced to punt again. You get a 10-yard holding penalty down 20-7 to incomplete pass. You end up punting on 4th and 19. I mean, this is an offense that, quite frankly, through the course of the season, you know if you get a holding penalty anywhere, the drive's pretty much done. You don't have a prayer to get back into it because your offensive line cannot hold the defensive line up long enough to even give Baron Morton time to throw, and even when he has time to throw, he doesn't really have a great arm right now because his shoulder's still injured, and your wide receivers cannot get any separation. I, it's not even worth talking about the second half. This game was done at halftime. It was 26-7, and they came out and scored a touchdown off a kickoff return to start the second half, and the game was just over then, just completely done then. I mean, you were down 33-7. to with 14 and a half minutes left in the in the third quarter. That's how bad this game got for Texas Tech. Overall, there were two main issues. Or okay, there weren't two main issues. There were issues everywhere on the field. This special teams has been good for you this year. This is a much much improved special teams unit. Austin McNamara just got punter of the year. Very well deserved. He also got a punt blocked and hit a bad punt in this game. Then you gave up a kick return for a touchdown. And now, in fairness, Dre McRae, 
This was another issue. That drop, that was one that you could have hung around in the game, made it a game a bit longer if you get that play, and he drops it. And now, to be fair, his kickoff return is the only reason you have points on the board because I don't think this offense was driving all the way down the field at any point in this game. You were beat up front, you got no pass rush, and your receivers didn't get separation, which we've said all year, and then Jerram Bradley quit on two plays, both ended up being picks in the first half. And I got to say, I will give credit to whoever benched him because you cannot come into a game with that type of effort. Quitting on plays, you can't do it. We got on Miles Price last year because he quit on a play against Houston. Ended up being a pick six. And then the next game, you get another pick. When it looks like Miles Price quits on it, it, going back to it the very next week, it was against NC State. It looked like his, his shoulder was tugged and he got held. But either way, just a terrible performance, a complete failure. There's, It's not even worth talking about um, who did what right, who did what wrong. The, the only bright side from this one is Taj Brooks had a game, good game. Ben Roberts still had a good game. He got over 100 tackles on the year, which is insanely impressive for a redshirt freshman. And that's something to look forward to. So flipping the page over, because quite frankly, there's no point of digging into this one much further on the season you go six and six and i'm sorry that's a disappointment this team should not have been six and six and it's not even it this is the third time this season that you've gone over 45 minutes where you only get a field goal or nothing for the third time this season three games a quarter of your games this season You've gone over 45 minutes of game time with either getting a field goal or nothing. That's just not good enough. I don't care who's that quarterback. That's just never going to be good enough. That's not going to cut it, ever. Your defense, I thought, this game aside, especially this second half aside, I thought your defense was much improved on the season, and you're losing a lot of pieces from your defense to graduation. I will say one thing that should give people a lot of hope and promise is looking at Ben Roberts. Looking at Chapman Lewis, they look like they filled in their holes pretty well. They filled into their roles well. And I I think that's just the tip of the iceberg from Joey McGuire's recruiting. It's only going to go up from there. On the flip side, offensively, you have some big issues. You have some big issues. And I don't think that Zach Kitley is going to be fired. Maybe UTEP hires him away. But it seems like Zach Kitley's here to stay. You had receivers that could not get separation. You had some very questionable play calling. And I understand. This season went off the rails, not when Tyler Shuck got injured. It became extremely difficult for this offense when Baron Morton got injured. You could have put either of them in there from game one, and you would have and pretty much every fan would have been okay with it. The thing I don't get, and the play we'll go back to is the second play that Baron Morton is in against West Virginia when you know all you have behind him is a true freshman, Jake Strong, and you run Baron Morton and he gets hurt and he's playing the rest of the season injured. And credit to him for playing through it, but why that play call will never make any sense to me. 
And then you bounce back from West Virginia pretty good. You got wins against Baylor and Houston in convincing fashion. And then that Kansas State game, the injury bug creeps up again. Bear Morton takes a hit and can't hang around. You were only down three at half. You had the lead in the second half. And then BYU was just a mess. You won three really tough toss-up games. And then this game, you're you're just outmatched all the way. And quite frankly, it just looked like Texas wanted that one more. I mean, I was in the stadium. It seemed like Texas won that a lot more. How are we going to fix these receivers and this O-line and ensure that we have depth at quarterback? Now, Will Hammond is a guy who could possibly fill in as a true freshman, but you don't want him in there. Are you going to ride with Jake Strong as your QB2 or Will Hammond as your QB2? Or can you go find somebody, maybe a Henry Columbia type in the portal that at least has some experience? Because next year, I'm sorry, I looked at the schedule. This should not be a 6-6 six and six year next year. You get seven home games and all seven are very winnable home games. And then you could even pick off a game on the road, either at TCU or somewhere else. For there to be any sort of confidence going into next season, you have got to either develop Jake Strong or Will Hammond really well, and Will Hammond is enrolling in the winter to be a a reliable backup quarterback, or you got to go get somebody out of the portal who's okay being with the backup. And I don't think that Bear Morton should have his job in any jeopardy over it. I Maybe some jeopardy if he's just completely terrible. But I think it's pretty clear that Barron's going to be the guy. Running back-wise, there are rumors that Taj Brooks may return, and Cameron Valdez has already gone into the portal. If Taj Brooks doesn't return, you're either going to have Bryson Donnell or Anquan Willis as your starting running back, and we saw almost nothing of them this year. They weren't played really at all this season. Neymar Martinez has... I don't know if he's declared for the portal, but he put out his 2022 highlights. I think he's going into the portal. At receiver, you have Miles Price that's gone into the portal. He's gone. He's one that I would have liked to keep. Xavier White's gone. And Jerram Bradley is quite quite possibly going to go into the portal. You have three or four guys who are redshirting at receiver this year who can come in. I want to keep Dre McCray, and I want to keep Jordan Brown. You need to keep Koy Aiken. I think it's pretty safe that Koy Aiken's going to stay. What can Brady Boyd do? You know that a starting, a starting spot is going to go to Micah Hudson. But on those slot receivers, losing Xavier White and Miles Price, and quite frankly, or quite possibly, Nehemiah Martinez, who is very possible who could have moved back to the slot receiver role. Does Dre McRae fill one of those spots, or where else does that production come from inside? There's going to be a lot of questions going on about this wide receiver room, and quite frankly, after what we saw this year, the only one that that's a big loss is probably Xavier White because he was one of your most reliable ones, and then Koi Aiken, and that's it. That's it. You can lose anybody else. It really doesn't matter. I'd like to keep Dre McRae around. I'd like to keep Jordan Brown around. But man, this was a very bad receiver room this season. And then again, you're going to have to fix that O-line. That is an issue that continues to be an issue for Tex Tech. And you do have good recruits coming in. The problem with O-linemen is 
they're not you're not going to have many starting true freshmen. You had Jake Anderson a while ago, and that's pretty much it as far as true freshman starting linemen that you're going to be able to get. Unless you're getting five stars, they're not starting their first season. And then they're all the problem with the O-line is it's so tough from the transfer portal. I mean, we got Rusty Stats and Cole Spencer, and neither one of them look great. That is going to be a massive issue in the offseason is the O-line. And I think that Stephen Hamby, I think both of his seasons in charge of that O-line, the O-line has gotten better over the course of the year. The problem was, after last year, we saw how much better they got. You got Cole Spencer back. You got Rusty Stats. And you thought the O-line would be much improved, especially with a full offseason, a full fall camp, a full spring camp. That did not happen this year. Nobody took a leap forward on that O-line this year. That's going to be a major issue in the offseason. And we'll talk about it more in the offseason. Next week, we'll have more guys in the portal. We'll have guys taking visits. You're looking at guys from New Mexico, Mountain West. Can they make the leap up? It's probably easier to make a leap up from the Mountain West than it is Conference USA. But... That O-line is going to be a massive issue, and whether Taj Brooks comes back or not is going to be a real, real key thing to watch, or else you're going to probably have to go find a running back from the portal. But moving on from football, they'll either play in Fort Worth or in DFW or in Shreveport. I'd like the bowl in Shreveport a little bit better. I know it's at the same time that Tex Tech basketball plays Vanderbilt. Doesn't really matter to me. Um... Vanderbilt's not that good of a basketball game or basketball team. It's not as attractive as a game as it was when it was scheduled. So I don't care if you go to the Shreve, the bowl in Shreveport, you're playing a Pac-12 team, either UCLA or, or Cal. I think either of those two matchups would be way more entertaining than whatever you get in DFW. Going to basketball, though, the Texas Tech basketball team actually made some huge strides this past week. Some massive strides. This game against Villanova to start the tournament was honestly brutal to watch. And you were in this game. This is the thing. Pop Isaacs, at one point in the middle of the second half, had a three to cut the lead to one, and he missed it. Villanova went on, beat North Carolina the next day, beat Memphis the day after that, and they manhandled Memphis. I mean, they only won by 16. Memphis was never in that basketball game. You got beat pretty much in every statistical category in this game, quite frankly. You had a lower percentage from the field. You had an equal percentage from three, and that's the only thing that kept you in this game. You shot 59% from the line to their 81%. You were out-rebounded. 36 to 26 and I don't really like using overall rebounds as a stat so offensive boards nine to three you turn the ball over more than them 15 to nine it this was a very bad game from Texas Tech really I I struggled to find brought eight spots Pop Isaacs got going a bit he was four of 11 from three Joe Toussaint got you 15 points Cambridge got you 11 Warren Washington only got you six But where Texas Tech really made strides was the last 10 minutes against Northern Iowa. This team was down and out against Northern Iowa. And boy, did they they turn it on late. Because 
They went on at one point an 18-2 run to get back in this game. Pop Isaacs hit the winner. He was 4 of 11 from 3. I thought that Darian Williams, I, I mean, his stuff doesn't always show up on the stat sheet, but what he does for you on the court, it's just he's an absolute dog. There was one three-possession run, and I'm only going to focus on what he did defensively. He got a steal, he got a steal, and then he forced a jump ball defensively on three straight possessions during that run. It is great to have a player like Darian Williams on this team. I think that he's going to be one of McCaslin's favorite players. The problem is, again, he struggled against Villanova, and he turned it on against a mid-major team. So can that translate to Big 12 play? I don't think the work ethic's going to go anywhere. He got you a double-double the game before this tournament. I think this team's in really good shape. And one thing that they did do a bit, they went with a small ball lineup a lot. They had Toussaint's, Isaacs, Cambridge, Williams, and Chance McMillan out there, or Lamar Washington, one of them. They went small ball, and that lineup actually performed really well when Warren Washington is wasn't on the court, which is a good sign. You're still going to need Warren Washington in there when you play a team like Kansas with Dickinson or Texas with Disu and even Shedrick. But against a lot of these other teams in the Big 12, they don't have a lot of size. That's one thing that I've noticed going through the rosters. There's a couple teams that stand out for their size, and then some teams just absolutely don't have much size. I think that you saw this team get better over the course of the tournament. I think they had 70 pretty bad minutes of basketball, and then they had 50 really good minutes of basketball. And that led to a 2-1 and one record, so we'll take it every day. And the best thing about it is their worst 70 minutes came <laughs> as the first 70 minutes, and their best 50 minutes came as the last 50 minutes. And that's one thing, just wanting to compare it to last year. Take you back to the Maui Invitational last year. You played Creighton tough, then you blew out Louisville, and then you lost to Ohio State. You really didn't see improvement over the course of the tournament. And now I'm not one of these guys that think Michigan's actually a good basketball team. I don't. I'm not going to lie and tell you this third game I think is going to be a massive quad one win. It could be a quad one win, but I don't think Michigan's that good of a basketball team. But the impressive thing about this Michigan game, this is a team that relied on staying in the game with Villanova by shooting the three. That's pretty much all you had against Villanova was shooting the three. Against Michigan, you only shot 23.8% from three. You hit 18 of your 21 free throws, and you got 12 offensive boards to their seven. You manhandled them on the glass. You only turned the ball over nine times. You only turned them over eight times, but that's okay. And you were able to get inside. You were able to get points inside. And... I think this team's coming together a lot. Pop Isaacs, obviously, the shots the shots were not falling for Pop Isaacs against Michigan. I I, I heard some things, not even the, and you know, I'm I'm not sure what was going on with that one. There may have been other things going on, but he still got you 13 points. Still put in 31 minutes. Devin Cambridge, I'm really liking what he's doing. And he's really. If you looked him up before this year, he was thought of more as a shooting guard. He's 6'6". He can play your power forward for you because he's just an absolute athlete. 
And then Darian Williams again with 13 points in this game. Pop Isaacs with 13. Warren Washington with 8. Really not much time coming from the bench. Chance McMillan and Kerwin Walton each got 16 minutes. Lamar Washington got 3. Overall, um, I'm really happy with the way this tournament went for Texas Tech. You got better over the course of it. I said last week, if you went 2-1 and one or 1-2 one and two and finished 4th, I'd be okay with it. You went 2-1, and one, it may have been finishing 5th. No complaints from me here. None at all. But let's dig into some deeper stuff. The rotation. So pretty much it's already out there uh, who your starting lineup is. It's Isaacs, Toussaint, Darian Williams playing the three, who, by the way, 13 points against a power five opponent. Um, Devin Cambridge playing the four and Warren Washington playing the five. Warren Washington only saw 25 minutes in this game against Michigan. He only saw 22 against Northern Iowa. So you're seeing a lot more of the small ball lineup. And I will say the reason you didn't see that in the first game is after his flagrant, he was kind of banished by McCaslin for a while. I thought the flagrant foul on him was complete and utter BS. Um, I mean... You saw the guy fall on his leg, and he pulled his leg out from under him, and that went up and kicked him. Yeah, you're pulling your leg out from under somewhere. Your foot's going to come up when it comes free. I don't I don't understand how the refs call that a flagrant. Don't get it. But either way, you got your lineup. You got Kerwin Walton getting 16 minutes, which is surprising because I thought Chance McMillan or Lamar Washington was really going to be your sixth man. Lamar Washington only got three minutes in that last game. Toussaint, in a 16-point win, got 39 minutes. He only sat for a minute. Darian Williams was right behind him with 38. And I think Darian Williams may be a guy that we may see him a lot getting big minutes. He may end up getting more minutes than one of Toussaint or Isaacs by the end of the year because I just think you are so deep in the guard position You have players like Chance McMillan, Lamar Washington, even Kerwin Walton. They're all guards. You do have Yelaho, who can play down low for you. Cambridge can move over to the five. But I don't think that you have a player like Darion Williams on your roster. You don't have a true backup for him. If I was going to go through it, I'd say that basically you have nine guys that you can rely on. Robert Jennings seeing almost none of the court. Demarion Williams seeing almost none of the court. I hope, and this isn't really even a complaint about McCaslin. Just one thing that I hope to see changed, because you look at the December schedule, we have a big game against Butler, obviously at a Hinkle Fieldhouse. Don't change anything for that one. But you got Nebraska-Omaha. You got Oral Roberts, who quite frankly isn't that good this year. You have Vanderbilt, who's not that good this year. You have UT Arlington, Sam Houston State, North Alabama. I hope against those teams, Demarion Williams and Robert Jennings see more of the floor. I get that you're probably going to save Kyron Lindsey for next year. You want to redshirt him. But I hope against these teams that we're playing in December, those, what are they? Six games, and we'll count the January 1st game. I hope in those six games you see a lot more of Robert Jennings and Demarion Williams just to see if they can get going, see if they can get a role in this team because them on the bench doesn't do a lot for you and injuries are going to creep up and if you only have nine guys that you can rely on on the court and really only 
five guys that are getting over 20 minutes a game. You could have one or two guys injured and be put in a really tough spot for a Saturday, Monday type of stretch. For stretch, And especially when you go to the Big 12 tournament. You could be put in a very tough one when you're having to play two, three games in two or three days. I just hope that we see a little bit more of them as we go along this season. See if Robert Jennings can carve out a role as a big. I think Yelaho, he may have some potential for you, certainly. But he is a freshman. It's good he's on the roster. Good that we went out and got him. But can Robert Jennings, with Big 12 experience, be a player that gets you 10 minutes a game? Gets you 15 minutes a game if you're put in a really tough situation. So this game against Butler, they're a really interesting team to me. I look at them and look at their stats and it's like, eh, but... They have played some decent games. They killed their first three opponents, which is expected. That's what we should have been doing to our first three. They played at Michigan State, lost by 20, and I actually watched a bit of that game. They were hanging around in that second half. I, I didn't think that they were completely outclassed. Against Florida Atlantic, they lost 91-86, and Florida Atlantic's a good team. They beat Penn State by 10, then they beat Boise State by 14. So, we're underdogs in this game. I think if it's at a neutral site, it would be ruled a toss-up game. This is a Butler team that, quite frankly, this is probably going to be a quad one win by the end of the season if we can get this done. This is going to go down as a quad one game. You look at their stats overall, and looking at the games they've played, it's like, okay, they're pretty decent. And then you look at their stats, and you're like, yeah, okay, they're pretty decent. They score a lot of points. They're 65th in points scored, or 79th in points per game. They have 80.6 points a game. So you're going to have to step it up on defense. You're going to have to be hitting threes to keep up with them. They're pretty good on field goal percentage, 76th in the country at 47.6. They are really good from the free throw strike, 78.4% on the year. Three-point percentage, if you can keep them outside, keep them shooting threes, they are not that good of a three-point shooting team so far, 33.5%. They're middle of the pack in rebounds. It, it, they're pretty good at limiting their turnovers. They have a good assist-to-turnover ratio at 1.4. They block 3.9 shots a game. This is a team that, yeah, I, I'm sorry, Butler, they're a, a team. They're, they're good. They're going to be... Quite, they're going to be a quad one win. They're not bad. They looked good against Florida Atlantic. They look good in their last two games. They look like they're on the upward trajectory, and you have to play them on the road. This is going to be a very tough matchup for Texas Tech. The three-point shooting has got to be there in this game, and you got to protect down low. They have a lot of guards slash forwards that like to get in the paint. You're going to have to protect the – you're going to have to wall up. You can't just rely on protecting the perimeter. You'll want to force them to shoot some threes. They're not that great at it, and you're going to need to be hitting your threes. And I hope that we see a good small ball lineup. Again, I think only eight or nine guys are going to play in this game. I think Lamar Washington will see a few minutes. You know Chance McMillan's pretty much your sixth man. He's going to see some minutes. And then will it be Kerwin Walton? Because Kerwin Walton struggles defensively, and Butler's a good offensive team. Or are you not going to play Kerwin Walton as much? Give up some three-point shooting. And are you going to put Yelaho down in the 
down in the blocks a bit more? Is this going to be a game where that guy sees 10 to 20 minutes? Those are some questions for me. This is a game that, quite frankly, I think Texas Tech is It's a great test for Big 12 Conference play. You're going to want to see Pop Isaacs playing better. You're going to want him seeing shoot him shooting better from three. But I thought against Michigan, you did a good side at get sorry. You did a good job at getting getting inside against them, even when your three-point shooting wasn't clicking. Can you shoot the three at a 35%, 40% clip in this game? Or if you're down at 20%, if you're not hitting your threes, can you get the ball inside? Can you get the ball inside? Can you beat them the way you did against Michigan? Or are you going to have to beat them the way that you get did against Northern Iowa? Because now we've seen this team win two different types of ways, from hitting the three with some really good defense by Darian Williams and by getting the ball inside and still playing hard-nosed defense. That's going to be the question for me. I think that if you can limit Butler to under 70 points in this game, you have a really good chance of winning. I think that's going to be a key. On defense, can you limit them under 70 points in this game? And quite frankly, you should be able to do that. You should be able to limit them under 70 points. They're not a great three-point shooting team. You're going to have to stay out of foul trouble because you don't want to be sending this team to the free throw line. You're not going to get help there, especially in Hinkle Fieldhouse. And this is really the last true test Tech has until conference play. I know you get Vanderbilt. You get some kind of tough games and none of your games are like super easy in the non-con after this they're most of them aren't quad four type games but that game against Vanderbilt that you scheduled for mid-December it's not looking that great right now this is a really good chance for Tex Tech to come out of this stretch if they go three and one I think you have to count this as a very successful stretch if they go two and two it's going to be a bit of a disappointment So that's going to do it for this one. If you can, go ahead and give us a five-star review. Obviously, my parlay for Tech to go to the Big 12 Championship did not hit, so I won't be giving you any free tickets. But you can go ahead and get a koozie, a Heartland College Sports koozie, by emailing a picture of your review to jacksonmoody37 at gmail.com. That's going to do it for this one.